Thanks, Eric, for that great report, and it's good to hear always about what's going on in the wider covenant. So this morning, we continue our series called The Affirmations, and we're going to be looking at a text from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, and it reads like this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit." Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit." Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. Well, as we've mentioned, we are in this series called The Affirmations. And this morning, we're going to talk about the affirmation which says that we have a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. Now, as you might imagine, this is a huge topic. I mean, one sermon on the Holy Spirit, we could go so many different directions when we think about this. But the, the, the thing about the, a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit is that at least in my early years in ministry, this was probably the affirmation that we talked the least about. And there are a number of reasons for that, but I think ultimately it's just that it's kind of difficult to, to find handles for it. One of the things that I want to focus on this morning, and one of the reasons that I chose this text, and this is a little bit You'll have to excuse me. This is a little covenant history geekiness coming out, okay? So there is one volume, actually it's two volumes, of a book that we used in seminary for covenant history written by a man named Carl Olson, and its title is By One Spirit, and it's a big, fat, 
like two and a half inch paper book with a uh, paper book book with like a blue cover and it's daunting. And as with most history, let's just say if, uh, if insomnia is a problem, um, you could find pages that maybe might help with that, right? Um, but it's a valuable resource because it tells our story. And part of our story is this belief and this reliance on this one spirit that brings us all together, that builds us into a temple, as Paul says, where God lives. In verse 22, he said, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So I want to focus on a couple of aspects of this from this text this morning. And the two themes that I want to look at as we think about what it means to have a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, are, come from these verses that we just read. I want us to think about uh, two words that show up in, this, um, in these verses at least twice. The first word is remember. Remember. The second word is obviously spirit. By one spirit, we are a dwelling for God, through His Spirit. But as we think about that, we have to think about, well, what is the Holy Spirit? And I think one of my favorite definitions of the Holy Spirit comes from uh, uh, my Old Testament professor from North Park College. It was college back then. It's a university now. Jack Levison. Jack writes this. He says that God's mystical practical, expansive, unbridled presence in the world where we least expect it, in every breath we take, in social transformation, in community, in hostile situations, and in serious learning. That is where God's Spirit is present, in all of it, in all of those different places and different ways. Now, we are, by nature, forgetful creatures. You ever notice that? We are forgetful creatures. And I'm not just talking about the forgetful kind of thing that, um, you know, when you reach a certain stage in life, you walk into a room, but you don't remember why that you went into that room. Happened to me just the other day. <laughs> Why did I come in here? What am I looking at? So we're forgetful in that way, but we're also forgetful uh, in a whole bunch of other ways. I mean, we can look at our, uh, just our wider American culture and recognize that we forget a lot of things and pretty quickly, right? Uh, any number of things. We tend to forget who and more importantly, whose we are. Here's a little bit of Old Testament trivia. Did you know that God in the Old Testament reminds the people to remember over 100 times? So in the Old Testament, over 100 times, God through the prophets or through the priests or whoever is speaking will urge the people of Israel over and over again to remember, to remember Remember what God has done. Remember what God has promised. Remember when you were in Egypt. 
Now, Paul was no doubt aware of this, well-trained as a rabbi as he was. He was very aware of this tendency of forgetfulness, which is why in this in these verses in Ephesians, he reminds the, Ephesians, the, the church at Ephesus to remember. Remember where you came from. Remember who you were. Remember who God has made you. Remember. And so Paul, in verses 11 to 13, reminds the people in the church at Ephesus, that God came to preach peace to those who were far and peace to those who were near. Now these, uh, these categories that we hear in this text can be a little confusing for us, Jews and Gentiles, and it seems kind of foreign because we think, well, we don't have, we don't do that anymore. We're, we're Christians. We, we don't have divisions, except that we do. You know, I mean, I think it's, it's stunning. I was just reminded of this the other day. The tendency of humans to build walls is not something new, right? I'm, I'm reading a novel right now that's set, part of the action is taking place in Great Britain, and it talked about, and I was reminded that in 1969, there were walls built all over the city of Belfast in Ireland to divide the Protestant neighborhoods from the Catholic neighborhoods. And they were called peace walls, right? Which is kind of funny, I mean, in a not very funny way, right? So as, if you're Protestant, and as long as you stay on this side of the wall, you're, you have peace. If you go over to the other side of the wall, not so much, and vice versa, Right? We know that the the entire uh, city of Jerusalem is divided by a wall that keeps the Jews on one side and the Palestinians on another. Those of us who grew up in the 70s and 80s remember that day in 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down, right? And, And this stunning development of this wall that had signified the division between East and West. And we won't even talk about walls as in, a, in the current context of American culture, right? I mean, it's something that we do, and somehow we think that these walls are going to, to accomplish something. And so Paul is reminding the church at Ephesus, and, and thus us, that, he's, that God came, that Jesus came to bring peace both to those who were far and near. In other words, to put it in more uh, common vernacular, Jesus came to preach peace to everybody, to far and near, Jew, Gentile, Democrat, Republican, uh, Seahawks fan, uh, Vi- never mind. Um, I mean, some divides you just, right? But this is the thing. That Paul wants the church at Ephesus to remember who they were, but more importantly, to remember who God has made them in Christ. That he has torn down the wall. Now, we can look at this in a number of ways. And the reality is, is that we have talked about the fact that we find ourselves in the American church, and I know maybe some of you are getting tired of hearing me say this, but until we fix it, I'm going to keep talking about it. We find ourselves in the American church more divided than at any point in our history, at least since the Civil War. 
And I would contend that it might even be worse in some ways. So maybe for you, those who are near are longtime Christians, and those who are far are new Christians. Maybe those who are near are those who believe the right way or vote the right way or think the right way or agree with me politically, whichever way I lean. They're near and others are far. Maybe it's those who are conservative in their faith are near and those who are progressive in their faith are far. To which Paul says that Christ came to preach peace, to preach shalom to both those who were near and those who were far. In verse 14, Paul reminds us that Christ destroyed the barrier. He destroyed the dividing line between the two. You see, the whole reason he goes through this very kind of almost graphic description of circumcision, you know, this idea of you were the uncircumcised, they called that by the circumcised, it's all done by human hands. I mean, it's, it's pretty graphic in the original language. And the point it, that Paul is making is he's trying to be very blunt to point out that those divisions do not matter because now Christ has destroyed the barrier and he has made the two one. Remember Jesus' manifesto in the Gospels. When Jesus is asked why he has come, he says that I have come to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom for the oppressed, sight for the blind. In other words, Jesus is all about getting people free. In fact, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he writes this line, which I think is one of, it's probably maybe my favorite verse in the New Testament, but it's really hard. It goes like this. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now, that's, there's a deep well there, and we're not talking about patriotic freedom. The last time I preached this, I had a gentleman come up to me uh, <clears throat> after the service and say, well, I'm just so glad we don't have to worry about that anymore I'm, because we're Americans and we're free. And I was like, dude, that ain't the freedom we're talking about, right? It is for freedom Christ has set us free. He's divided the divide, or he's destroyed the dividing wall. He has proclaimed liberty. He has made one out of the two by his spirit. He goes on and continues to talk about this. That's why he goes into such detail in these verses, Paul does, about what this wall is. Because the reality is, Paul recognizes, I think, that the propensity for wall building will not go away. Whether it's circumcision or politics or whatever it might be. There are those still today who are rebuilding the wall. And maybe they're even doing it with uh, genuine motives. 
Maybe they think they're doing something good, but the reality is is that we follow a Christ who tears walls down. He does not build them. Those who come seeking God but are turned away because they don't fulfill our misguided understandings of what Christians look like, wear, act, vote, whatever it might be. If that, friends, is happening, if we are turning people away, either intentionally or unintentionally, because of the way they dress, because of the way they look, because of their skin color, because of their hairstyle, because of their political affiliation. Friends, that is a rebuilding of the wall. And it grieves the heart of God. Because Jesus went to the cross to destroy the barriers that separate us. When a far-off person shows up here to worship them, to worship, we welcome them just as Christ welcomed us when we were far off. When people show up in this place to worship God, We welcome them the same way that God welcomed us in Christ when we were far off, which is with arms wide open. You've noticed, I hope, that we've made we've done some freshening up around here. And on the wall, as you walk in, you now see welcome. And this, these are, the, the bigger the words, the more that language is spoken in Kent, Washington, right? So all of those languages that you see, it's not just to be cute, it's not just to look good, it's a representation of the community that we find ourselves in. Every one of those languages is spoken in this community. Now the challenge is twofold. One, we put that there because we want people to feel welcome. But guess what? It's also a challenge to us because now it's our job to live in to that welcome, to open our arms wide to all of those different people and all their different traditions and all their different dress and all their different food and all of it and to say, welcome, come and be a part of us. You are welcome here because this is the house of God. And it is being built by the Spirit of God. Friends, if it's not clear to you you yet, let me put a very fine point on it. It is not our job to protect God or his church. He's big enough to do that himself. We don't need to protect God by erecting barriers. It is our job to remove barriers so that people might experience God and his welcome. And friends, if, if it's, this should come as no surprise to you, that is messy, holy work. 
And it's the work that Paul was calling the church at Ephesus back to. Because there was tension between these two groups, the circumcision and the uncircumcision. And well, you're not quite, you're not quite a member because you weren't of the right group. And Paul says, no, 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 no. God has destroyed the barrier and he is now building by his spirit one body. One new body. One new thing. No seniority, no elder sibling, no hierarchy of, well, I've been a member for 25 years, so my vote counts twice as much as yours. You've only been here for one. No. One body. In Galatians, again, Paul wants to make sure we understand that he's not messing around. So in Galatians 3, he says that in Christ Jesus, there is no free nor slave, no Jew, no Gentile, no man nor woman, right? It's like he comes up with every possible category he can think of to make sure that we get the message that in Christ Jesus, we are one. There is no us and them. There is no other. There is only one. Brothers and sisters. And that is it. It is important for us as Christ's new creation to remember our stories. To remember that we were once far off, not part of God's family. But we have been made new. Every one of us who follows Jesus, we have been made new. And Paul says in this text that the Spirit is now building us in, to become a dwelling for God's Spirit. Right? This is amazing stuff. We, friends, Kent Cove is being built into the very habitation of God. We, you, me, all followers of Jesus are being built on him, the foundation, into a habitation, into a house that has no dividing walls, where all can experience God's love and welcome through his people. So then the big question becomes, well, how? How does that work? And what and what, is, what does it mean then that we live in a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit? I want to suggest two ways. Well, really, it's, it's one way broken down. And that's first by remembering the story. You know, we saw this morning uh, with the PDR uh, graduation, right? These two young women who are beginning their journey of faith. Right? And they've, they've, been, they've spent the last two years learning the story, the big story, Genesis to Revelation, the story of God's pursuit of his people. So as we move forward, we have to remember that story, and then we have to place ourselves in our story in the context of it, because we all once were far off. The second thing we need to remember is, is the tense of what Paul says. We are being built together. We are being built 
Not we might be built, not one day we will be built, but we are being built. It is happening. God is doing it through His Spirit. Not we are building by our power and intellect and great theology and and effort and all of that. No, God is building. We are the materials. It is the work of God to build us into the dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. I love this image of how this looks that comes from uh, Richard Rohr, uh, who talks about that in Trinitarian theology, the Holy Spirit is foundationally described as the field of love between the Father and the Son. One stays in this positive force field whenever one loves, cares, or serves with positive energy. Right? The, the love of God that exists between the Father and Son is, is, where the, is the Spirit. That's where the Spirit moves and, and empowers us. And we get to step into and participate in that reality. You know, in the Eastern Church, their description of the Trinity is called perichoresis. And you might hear in that word the root of another word that we know in English— choreography. They describe the Holy Trinity as a dance between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always moving, always seeking to outlove and outserve one another in this intricate dance, and that we as Christians, we get invited into that dance. We don't sit and watch it. We actually get to participate in it. I think it's a beautiful image. But it brings us back to this question of what does it mean to live in conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit? Well, friends, the longer I follow Jesus, the longer I serve in ministry, the more I become convinced that the hardest part is not doing the the deep, hard theological work on how it is that the Holy Spirit works. That's important, and I believe in it. But the hardest, most important work is simple obedience and awareness of living in the love of God. Simple obedience and awareness of living in the love of God. What do I mean by that? Well, here's the thing. Especially here in the West, we love to dream the big dreams. We love to set, uh, as one of my mentors used to say, the BHAGs, the big, hairy, audacious goals, right? We need to, we need to just take the world by storm. We need, to, we need to, you know, just the bigger the better, the faster, more, 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 right? It's just this huge thing. We like to dream these big dreams. We find them inspiring, and they get us all charged up. But here's the thing. The economy of the kingdom of God is different. And big things always start with small obedience. Find me one example in the New Testament where where the leaders of the church set a big, hairy, audacious goal and then go out and do it. They don't. They do small obediences to the prompting of the Spirit in the moment. In fact, Jesus describes, he says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. 
It starts small. Here's my favorite example of this. Some of you are aware there was a nun a few years back who won the Nobel Peace Prize. Her name was Mother Teresa, and there was not probably a person in the world who hadn't heard of her. She was on the cover of Time. She was, she was invited to speak to all the leaders of the world. She spoke with the Pope. She had sharp words for several American presidents and popes, for that matter. Not American popes. Haven't had that yet. But you get my point. But here's the thing. We look at Mother Teresa of Calcutta and we see the end result. We see the Nobel Peace Prize winning nun who speaks truth to power and who loves and serves the poor. But we forget that it started as a mustard seed when a young nun on the streets of Calcutta obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit to care for one of the least, the last, and the lost. Laying on the street with no witnesses. That, friends, is a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. It's learning to live in obedience, simple obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and then relying on that same Spirit to give us the courage to obey. And then relying on that Spirit once we realize that by obeying we've found ourselves in a new situation. And now there's a different challenge. And now we lean into that. Because we know that we are being built by the power of that Spirit into a habitation for God. So says the Apostle Paul. And so friends, as we as covenant people learn to live in a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, it means that we have all kinds of conversations as a community about what that means to follow the Spirit and where the Spirit's leading. It means that we welcome the stranger, even and especially when that means that our life is going to get messy. But most of all, friends, it means that we learn to live in simple obedience to the promptings of the Spirit, learning to follow one step at a time, going where the Spirit calls and sharing the love of Jesus. Amen.